Peace, family. Welcome back to another episode of the Foundation Podcast. On this episode, we sit down with a very special guest called Phillips. Phillips is a Baltimore, Maryland native who has established a foundation with fitness in addition to serving his country with the Navy for over 20 years where he was a petty officer first class. He was raised in the Douglas Projects of Baltimore, where he was a typical kid from the outside looking in. He excelled in all sports, including basketball, football, and wrestling. And he came from the same area of greats like Muggsy Bowles and Sam Cassell. However, even though his parents did everything to keep him out of trouble, Philip still found a way to begin getting in trouble in the streets. At a very young age, Phillips had to grow up quickly being based in Baltimore, around the civil rights era, and also the drug epidemics. He had to navigate through pretty hostile environments throughout the city. In addition to growing up in Baltimore, Carl had two brothers who were suffering from mental health issues in an age where not much was known about mental health issues. He had one brother who was a paranoid schizophrenic and one brother who was bipolar. Phillips cites the need to protect his brothers from bullies and also to look out for them generally as the reasons he had to be so active in the streets. Phillips find out very early the dangers of the street life as at the age of 14, he was involved in a fight which he nearly lost his life and left him with over 150 stitches on his face. Faced with the possibility of an early death or a life in and out of prison, Phillips chose to look for a way out in the form of the military. This interview ends right when Phillips begins his tumultuous career in the Navy. Throughout the interview, Philip alludes to the importance of weightlifting at a very young age and how he felt a spiritual connection in the weight room and how he felt that was all he had. The weight room had become the foundation he used to build himself up as a man. The second part of the episode will be released next week, which goes into the actual journey Phillips had in the Navy and how he had to fight and ultimately conquer all his childhood fears and demons in order to come out on top. See if there are any tools you can take from Phillips' story in order to help you build your own foundation. Until next time, family, keep building. Peace. All right, family, welcome to another episode of the Foundation Podcast. On this week, we have a very special guest. We have Carl Phillips. That's Carl with a K, actually. Um, and my boy is from the home. His hometown is Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and he was actually uh, in the military, the Navy, correct? Yeah, from the Navy for about 20 years. Um, he served as a petty officer first class. He entered in 1991, retired as 2011. And after he retired, he spent 12 years in the fitness industry with Retro Fitness. Um, and today he's pretty much going to show us and tell us how to build a foundation um, in military and uh, fitness industry are in to give, you know, us a little bit about these two industries and, and two career paths that, um, you know, some of us might, might want to explore with um, later on down the line. So without further ado, um, I'll get 
started introducing our guests. Um, what's up, Carl? How you feeling today? Feeling fine. Feeling fine, man. You know me. Same old, same old. Easy like Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's what's up. So, you know, I, I, I met you. Um, I actually met you in the fitness industry, you know, working out at, at, at Retro and stuff. But kind of talk about a little bit um, before there, how you kind of got there and, um, you know, your, your upbringing in Baltimore. I, you know, grew up in Baltimore, uh, was born in Lafayette Projects and raised in Douglas Projects. But a lot of people, you know, only saw my, my progression in Douglas Projects because we moved when I was a baby out of Lafayette. I love the projects, and that's the same projects where Lil Muggs came from, where Reggie Williams came from. You know, a lot of the legendary athletes came out of there, so you looked up to them, you know, growing up. So that's what you wanted to be. You wanted to be that athlete. You know, you had the greatest coaches in Baltimore. Like I was, I came under uh, John Murdoch, uh, Bucky Lee, Mister mm -hmm. Lee, uh, my Mo. Uh, Lovey, uh -huh. uh, Coach Phil, Coach Barnhart, you know, I came under a lot of different coaches who, you know, was, was you know, a kid hanging out in the street, trying to figure his way out. You know, at that time, I'm about four, four foot nothing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. four foot nothing, trying to, trying to figure it out, trying to see which way I want to go. I grew up in a household of, you know, four of us. My mom's was a single mom. She worked for the city. You know, I'm the baby boy out of all of them. So, and also the shortest out of everybody. So, you know, my oldest brother, he served in the military. You know, he was, my oldest brother was very smart. All of my brothers were smart. They was into poetry and track and field. Uh, my oldest brother, he went to Polytech. If anybody know anything about Polytech in Baltimore, it's an engineering school. You know, it's hard to get into. So I really looked at, I looked up at, at my brother as, man, that's, I wanted to be like him. So whatever he wanted to do, I was trying to follow. But also doing my sports thing also, you know, and trying to hang out, you know, with, with my friend, with my friends and everything. You know, everybody out there doing their thing, especially in Baltimore. Baltimore at that time, talking about early 70s, late 60s, uh -huh. you know, you're still going through the transition of the civil rights era, the all the racism, all the, the segregated areas, you know, that you really can't go down and you can't go to, you know, when you went up to Hollandtown, you went down to Fells Point, you know, you really had to watch yourself where you was going at as a kid, you know, there's certain places in Baltimore that you just couldn't venture in. Not just only that, but certain places in other areas on the side of town, you have to watch yeah. out where you go at. You really had to move in a certain way in Baltimore, and you had to learn it really quick as as a, as a kid, especially coming from a single parent home when your mom's at work. Yeah, and you have, you got a lot of time to yourself to get in trouble and uh -huh. do what you want to do. But you know, like I said, growing up in the projects is not just a People look at the projects as, you know, low income. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is, these people are, you know, don't have a way. But actually, we had people that were politicians, that were doctors, that were engineers, that worked in the school systems, 
that worked in hospitals, doctors, you know, nurses. We had a lot of people who were living in, in the projects that was totally different from what people thought of. And so it was more like a village. Like you, whatever went on in there, yeah. everybody knew. Uh -huh. So when trouble, when trouble was arising, they could cut trouble off at the path, you know, stop, yeah. stop things that were going on that would hinder you and harm you. And that's how it was. You always had people look out for you, even though your parents wasn't, you know, around. And I just didn't just extend from that project. You can go to other areas, like, like I could go up the hill or down the hill and people knew who you was from the extension from your moms and knowing your cousins, you know, knowing other people that you knew. So you felt like you can move about and, you know, and, they, and if people knew you from sports also. Yeah. Yeah, leagues like Project Survival. You know, we had leagues like BNBL. We also had house leagues also. House leagues is when, you, you know, you're actually playing at the rec center. So mm -hmm. the traveling team thing wasn't really that prevalent back then. So you had a lot of house leagues. Okay. So each recreation center had their own teams there. And they were, you know, you had your, <clears throat> everybody had their guards. Everybody had their players in that area where they know oh, that player going to play there next year and a year after that year after that very something you went out of your area to go play until you felt as though you was ready because in baltimore the competition was fierce i'm talking about fierce like you wherever wherever you went to go play at you had to be on top of your game no matter what you did basketball football if you was running through street like the street light <laughs> you was going to wrestle somebody box somebody you know 85 just about 85 percent of the kids in my neighborhood wrestled because we had a wrestling school is a legendary wrestling school in baltimore called mckim's mm. on the east side of town okay. and majority of people that you would come across knew how to wrestle mm -hmm. so you had to figure it out like <laughs> like <laughs> these guys is not just average people basketball guys can wrestle football guys can wrestle boxers can wrestle you know, just the average person could wrestle. So, you know, you you really had to hold your own, no matter how, what size you were, fat, short, tall, skinny, whatever, you really had to, had to lay it down, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a little synopsis of what my home, my mom was strong, my mom's was tough. Mm -hmm. My mom's would, didn't really take no mess off of nobody. Respect was demanded, you know? I'm not saying I was always doing what I was supposed to do. I was out there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But I was out there in a way where I kept it to myself. You know, I didn't I didn't let people know what I was doing. I was moving in a different way, but still maintaining who I was and where I was what I was about. So a lot of people really didn't know that, you know, I was out there fighting, I was out there toting, I was out there hustling. You know, because I could still come back and had the little dirty shoes on, ran over shoes, cut off shorts, you know, but people really didn't know what you was doing. And it's, it's you have all kinds of elements that you deal with. You know, you deal with the fact that you're in low income, uh, your mom's a single parent, you got brothers in the house, one brother is going one way, the other brother is going the other way. And then you have drugs in your neighborhood and 
all of just just a mix of something is about to happen, especially mm-hmm. you being the youngest. So because you're really following, you're really following the marching orders of your parents and the people that's older than you. Uh-huh. And when you really look at them, is is it's like where do I go? Where do I go? Where do I go? And as a child, you know, my brothers was out there, so I had to find another avenue to hang out. So me, I would go over to all of my mom's girlfriends, all her friends, you know, back in the day, your mom's got a bunch of friends. You know, I always hung out at their homes, at my friends' houses, all the time, spend the night, everything to keep myself out of trouble. Uh-huh. But that only appeared I was keeping myself out of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> when they didn't see me, yeah. I would I could be cross town doing some other stuff yeah. and they not know it. Yeah. But so when when was the um transition for like because you was in high school right so when was it where you started to think of like military college what am I going to do after high school and did that play a role in you saying like oh I maybe I gotta now change up some of the stuff that I'm doing um, on the street or well, did it not play like a, a crazy factor like that? Well, it was a crazy, it, 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 it was all over the place because uh-huh. like I said, in, in high school, I, I actually got kicked out of ninth grade. You got kicked out of ninth grade? <laughs> yeah, ninth grade, I get kicked out. Uh-huh. And, you know, I was fighting, missing days, doing other stuff, you know, out there trying to make money, trying to trying to do things under the radar, you know, you learn stuff from other people and, and you learn it the good way. So, but I got kicked out of the ninth grade, you know, my, like my dream was to go play basketball. Uh-huh. I had a chance to, like I said, play at these different leagues, play in camps, you know, and being watching other players that was actually, you see you see their potential and you know they're going to go to college. So your dream is to go to college, be a professional athlete, you know. So I started lifting weights at nine years old. Nine years old you started lifting weights? Nine, nine years old I started lifting weights. Damn. By yourself? At Chick Webb. Now, at first, we were doing it, me, a couple of friends of mine, my friends, uh Timmy, Mike, and all of us, we were we were lifting sand weights. You know, back in the day they had the sand weights. Uh-huh. And so we had the sand weights. Little Timmy had the steel weights in his house. I would go in there, you know, lift weights at the house and everything. And we bring the bring the weights out in the front and in, 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 in the in the in the in the yards in front of the uh in the middle of the projects in Bethel Court where I come from. So we would do that and then like I said, I was still hanging at nine. I, I was still ripping, running, and just trying to find my way, you know. And one day, my uh, my neighbor uh-huh. named Calvin Brody, uh-huh. he was, Calvin Brody was in the military. But uh-huh. Calvin also could wrestle, could swim. He could do a lot of things. But if you looked at him, you would, his look, his, his size would deceive you in thinking that he wasn't who he was. Because he was a big guy, he was a, a burly guy. He wasn't like cut up or nothing like that, but he was strong. Mm-hmm. And 
he asked my mom, he was like, can I, you know, can I take him with me? And she was like, hell yeah, go ahead, take him. And I've been in the gym at that rec a lot of times, but he started really instilling in me what weightlifting could do for you. What, what the concept, what fitness is, what the spiritual aspect of this. And he started teaching me things. He brought me around a lot of guys who were just powerful. The energy was different in there. We was in, and it wasn't just like handing you the weights and let you do it. It was like, uh, you got to start from scratch. Yeah. And pick up that broom, sweep this area, pick up them plates, clean up, uh, get that broom. I'm going to show you this technique. Do this technique over and over and over and over and over again until you get it right. Once you get it right, you can move to the next step. Mm-hmm. All right, now we're gonna put we're gonna put the bar in your hand until you learn how to lift this bar right. You ain't putting nothing on these weights. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm still playing basketball, I'm still playing football, I'm still mm-hmm. running. I'm still doing a lot of a lot of other sports, mm-hmm. and I'm figuring it out. It's actually helping me be better at the other sports because the discipline that he's instilling in me in that weight room. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, 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 it's different. And so now I'm getting focused, you know, the focus that I was losing as a child, you know, and things like that. Cause you know, a lot of people also, a lot of me touch back and me go back a little bit. A lot of people at the time, mental illness wasn't a big thing that people talked about. I grew up in a household where I had two brothers who had mental illness. One was a paranoid schizophrenic, and the other one, he didn't come to later on to find out that he was uh, bipolar. Mm-hmm. But the situation in there was was hectic. Mm-hmm. You know, fights every day, the just the discourse, you know, just the turmoil, and you trying to navigate yourself through that. When I mean fights, I mean, we broke up everything in the house from trophies to bed posts to glass to tvs to mattresses i mean talking about and you have to find your way to defend yourself mm-hmm. and, move, and move that way and so but a lot of people in the neighborhood didn't understand they were mentally ill too so mm-hmm. they would get picked on a lot and so you had to now that your brothers you have to figure out how you can protect your brother even at a young age mm-hmm. and people used to call me a little man like, shorty, you're a little man, yo. You like, but I was thinking different because mm-hmm. what I've learned in the what I learned in the, in the gym, mm-hmm. really. What, I was good at sports, but when I hit the weight room, it took me to a different level. That it's it's kind of hard to even explain. It's almost like spiritual that mm-hmm. that level that it took me to, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to quit. It was other friends that was going in there with me that we was going with. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I'm like, I'm not quit this. I'm 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 enjoying it. Yeah. And so he put me in a, he put me in a few competitions and I won them. Mm-hmm. Played t- and then I would go play tennis, win, winning tennis when I was little, mm-hmm. swim team, winning, you know, boxing, winning, mm-hmm. you know. Everything I was participating in, I was winning. Uh-huh. I, I was really putting it, putting it, what I've learned in that gym, put it to task. Mm-hmm. And also learn how to 
to defend myself. So now the little kid that's four foot something, 90 something pounds, you ain't gonna be paid to push me around no more. You ain't gonna be able to create your dominance over me. Mm-hmm. I got a different mindset now, you know, because of what I've learned in that in that weight room as a child. So now let's fast forward a little bit. Now we headed to, you know, junior high school, middle school. I mean, we y'all, they call it junior high. They call it junior high back in my day. But we go, we go to high school and I try out for the varsity team. And we we playing street ball. I'm good at street ball football, which we call the bone ball. We call bone ball back in our day, you know, and we traveled around playing different teams, and I'm good at it. And the guys that I'm playing with are older guys. I mean, these guys can go to college, they can do their thing, they play semi-pro, mm-hmm. and I'm following behind them. But I'm still hitting the gym every day. I'm still doing my own thing, and I'm still in the street a little bit, but nobody's knowing. I'm still maneuvering, trying to figure figure things out. Mm-hmm. And so, once once we uh, I get to high school now, you know, I try out for varsity. I should have played JV, but they convinced me to play varsity. Mm-hmm. Play my first my first round of you know tryouts. Go to go to summer go to summer camp and everything. And it's down in Federal Hill with it where we running up the hills, Southern. I went to Southern High School. It's on the other side of Federal Hill, over in South Baltimore. And at the time, that school was probably 70% white and only 30% black. So mm-hmm. it was it was a it was an area where I really didn't want to go to that school mm-hmm. at that time, but they was what they called uh um zoning. Mm-hmm. So they was on you for that school. So right at that time, I'm living right across the street from Dunbar High School. Mm-hmm. My vision is that's the high school I'm going to. Yeah. That's my. I want to go there. I want to play under Bob Way. I want to. I want to play under Mr. Bannum. I want to. I want to play under Mr. Lee. I want to. This one I'm brewing myself for, mm-hmm. and I know I'm good enough. I done played it probably against some of the top guards in East, West, South. You know, all over Baltimore. All summer, you playing against these guys. You 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 grooming yourself to, mm-hmm. to do something better than what you want to do the day before. So you, when everybody sleep, I'm outside on a I'm outside on football season practicing. Mm-hmm. When everybody sleep, I'm on a basketball court practicing. Everybody sleep. Everybody doing other things. I'm down the playground hitting this tennis racket up against the hitting the ball up against the wall. I'm I'm doing things that. You have to make some kids do now that you didn't have to make me do as a kid. Mm-hmm. I went and did it myself. I didn't tell my parents, my mom, like, oh, I'm going here. I'm like, when you, I'm like, I'm out. She was like, all right, I see you. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was, you know, because she knew from her north, she thought I was just going out there doing my sports and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And nothing else. So but when the military come in. The military came in after, like I said, after after uh, I went through all my my high school stuff, getting kicked out mm-hmm. and reactivated in an adult high school. And at that time, my brother Roland, he was in the, he was in the Air Force at that time. Okay. So I always knew about the military, you know, but I'm still not I'm still want to play ball in college. Okay. So, you know, 
At that time, young guy, I get in a fight, I get stabbed in the face. I had 150 stitches in my face, mm. almost lost my life. I had my temple almost punctured. I had my face cut out, my nose, my eye. Damn. You know, and that was at 14. So you 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 figure out like, man, I ain't going nowhere, dog. I'm a I'm I'm gonna stay in here. I'm gonna do street shit that I probably don't make it out here to 21. I'm gonna die at 21. I know I ain't gonna pass. You, you had that that actual thought in your mind. I'm already in it. You thought that, that you ain't gonna get past it. You had that actual honest thought, like, yeah, I, yeah. I probably ain't gonna make it past 21. Yeah. Damn. That's the honest thought. I mean, at that time, I had guns put in my face. Yeah. Come look for me. Fights. Yeah, you was in the streets for real. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. So, whatever, whatever is whatever. You know, from from the from. I'm like, look, I, I fight my brothers every day. Uh-huh. My brother walking around the house with a knife, stabbing the TV because he paranoid schizophrenic. He, we had to put him away for a couple of years because of that. But Damn, I'm it's there. all going on at home in the house that you're growing up in. Single yeah. mom, your brother, paranoid schizophrenic. Yeah. And this is all happening at once. And then, yeah. you know, you just going out. In the world, so I, I think that's important to highlight, though, because I think that has an effect, you know, on your mental as well. You feel me? That you're dealing with this, and then you're going out in the streets and trying to, you know, make it better for your family, yeah. um, and encounter encountering what you was encountering. You know? Yeah. The gym was all I had. Mm. All I had. You know, any gym I could get into, I was going. I didn't want to be in that environment no more. And if you stepped to me at that time. Was it was it that uh the stabbing that was that moment that you know made you realize it? Or was it like a gradual thing? It was a gradual thing. It was a gradual thing. Yeah, it was a gradual thing. Uh-huh. From from that, because if if I if if probably if if I probably wouldn't have got stabbed in the face, mm-hmm. I probably would have been still on that wrong path. Because mm-hmm. yeah. when I got stabbed yeah. in the face, I had to make an important decision. Mm-hmm. Is will I put other people in a situation to go get revenge, to do things mm-hmm. and make it worse? Or I'll let the authorities handle you got to make a decision sometimes. Uh-huh. You had to make that as a, this matter, I had to make that as, as, as a team. Mm-hmm. Should we go down that hand list or you let it ride? Yeah. Now, the, so, the cops already had knew who did it and stuff? Yeah, they knew who did it. Oh, okay. So you was just like, I ain't getting my hands dirty type stuff. I don't want it to retaliate. But- no, it wasn't that easy. It wasn't that easy because we went down there probably <laughs> we oh, went down there probably every other day. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh so, <laughs> so you was looking for oh uh, we was looking for, we knew I, I knew who did it. We knew who did it. We knew who the family was, who uh-huh. did it, who was involved, who we was fighting. Uh-huh. So 
So what when was it that, that started to have like, I, I guess you kind of went on it a little bit, like, yo, you didn't want to bring other people into it. But like, Mom, as you're, you know, doing your efforts to kind of get this revenge, when was it where you was like, ah, maybe we could probably chill out or whatever the case may be? When, when my mom, it was a guy in the neighborhood, older guy in the neighborhood, who, like I said, the older guys was always there to protect you. Uh-huh. And the older guy was in my ear, was like teaching me how to maneuver through this. And my mom was in the other ear, like, what are you going to do with this? Mm-hmm. Both of them was on the same page without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. And so my mom was like, you know, whatever decision you're going to make, that you're going to have to live with this. And you might have to live with someone else getting hurt just because of you wanting to satisfy whatever that is in your head right now. So you decide if it, if it's worth one of your other friends getting hurt because you want to go down there and deal with this. Because mm. I never told my mother everything I was going through with my brothers, anything like that. She didn't, she didn't know. She was working too hard. I didn't want to put that on her plate. You know, so I kept a lot of shit in. I, I just didn't want to, you know, because just want to involve her because she got other things she's worrying about. She's trying to take care, yeah, raise raise boys into men. So you know, yeah. and so you just actually just to the point where I was like, I'm gonna have to make this decision myself. And I sat down and I looked at the whole situation. I really that was the first time I I looked at it as like playing a game for football, basketball, you being a point guard or you being a quarterback and a coach that said, you got to see the whole field. And so I just took myself off the field and set up in the stands and looked at how this will play out mm. many different ways. Mm. And I couldn't live with myself and somebody getting hurt for me. I couldn't, I could I knew I couldn't live with myself if one of my friends got killed or hurt because of me, because I want to go down there and revenge what happened to me. Yeah. I because all what happened to me was because I didn't listen to my moms in the first place. Because mm. I wasn't supposed to be down. Mm. And I went down there to help a friend. Mm. And because I didn't listen, this was the outcome of me not listening to her. Yeah. So that's how yeah. I started processing it. And I was like, I got at some time, at some point, I have to cut it off at the pack. I can't be. If I want to live and do other things, I can't be on that same path. Yeah. So, so you was like, I and I think that's I think that's crazy mature as a young man to, to think of that in that moment, right? Because I'm like, yeah, we can say everything that we're saying now, like and you can look at it like you're looking at it now. But to be 14 years old and to say, you know, I don't need to get revenge and I could just, you know, think about all these other things that could happen and I could think about my friends getting hurt and, you know, other people getting hurt and then think back to the fact that, you know, the only reason I'm in this situation in the first place is because I didn't listen. Um I think that's crazy responsibility and accountability 
at, at a crazy young age. So like you was like, yo, I got to make a different decision. And then kind of the military just presented itself or you kind of looked at your older brother who was in the air force or what was it? Nah, so, so it was crazy. I was already, you know, already fond of my, my older brother being in the air force. He come home in uniform. You know, I want to be like him. I wanted to be like him. He always dressed nice, smelled good, smart. And I would go down his house and everybody knew that I was down his house because when I came back, I smelled just like me. It was like, you down your brother's house, Joe? I was like, yeah, because he always had the, the, the finest colognes, you know, stuff like that, finest clothes and everything. So he was always that, that not just the dude I was looking at, at the, out in the street or the athlete. I had a role model in my house mm -hmm. also, but still that wasn't enough for me. Mm -hmm. I was still trying to find something else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to get out there in the street. So once, so then I started hustling. Uh -huh. So I started hustling. You got yeah, I started hustling. Uh -huh. So from that led to other things. So I'm still playing sport and people don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like my best, best friends didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Only dealt with a few people mm -hmm. that, that knew who I was doing it for and what I was doing for. And I wasn't even doing it for the money. Mm -hmm. I was doing it for like, to make sure my family was good, to make sure my brothers was good. Cause my brother, like I said, my brothers and them had, they were vulnerable out there. They had a mental illness, they was vulnerable. How do you stop vulnerability? By getting a little power, uh -huh. hanging with the right dudes, hanging with the right crew. Because now you hang with the right people, people see your family members, they like, oh, that's such and such brother. Oh, that's, yeah, you know, don't, you know, and my brother would come home sometimes, busted lip, mm. uh, broken arm, you know, people pick on him about his name and everything. And I go right over there looking for him. Mm. So I went from that to having a gun and nobody knew I had a gun. Yeah. My mentality started getting worse. Yeah. I'm in the gym, even though I'm doing all this, because I'm like, now I got to do what I got to do to protect him. Mm -hmm. Because he, he he can't protect himself. Uh -huh. So being out of the street is the only way I'm gonna be able to protect him. Uh -huh. Like I said, it wasn't about trying to get money. Money, I was I was giving that, I was spending that money on dumb stuff. Yeah. But my thing was to make sure he's good. Uh -huh. And by that time, my other brother, he was in Sacramento. He was at the Air Force Base in Sacramento. He didn't know what was going on. Uh -huh. My mom's calling him saying, you know, you need to talk to your little brother. My mom's calling my pops, like, you gotta come talk to him, you know? And I remember my father coming to see me and was like, <laughs> you know, what's going on? My father was probably the nicest, he's the nicest guy I ever met. Mm -hmm. Never, never, never forced himself, never, I never heard him argue. I never heard him raise his voice. He would speak to you in a tone where was real kind and nice where whatever he said to you, they registered to you. Uh -huh. It wasn't 
you know, the, the Bernard, it just wasn't to the point where you was a kid, you was like, nah, I don't want to hear that. Nah, it was subtle. It was soothing <laughs> what he was saying, but it was still my choice. Yeah. And so, and then I think <clears throat> I was, one day I was down, I was down at the project, the high rise building. Like I said, I'm moving in a way nobody ain't know what I'm doing. So now I'm down there late at night. Now the word is getting back to my mom. Like I'm seeing him down here. Like I'm saying, we from there. We was my mom's and then was born. We live down there. So my mom's know a lot of people down there. Well, he's down here late at night. Word is getting back. So I come home one day and my mom's is searching my room. Mm -hmm. Like she's searching my room. She's just tossing stuff. Mm -hmm. So and then I come home like, what are you, what are you doing? She was like, well. Rumor has it that you're down there, you know, selling drugs. And I'm like, well, I don't know who told you that. I, I go down there, but I'm down there playing basketball and doing other stuff. She was like, no, nah, I'm not stupid. So she said, whatever you do, whatever you doing, you need to stop. You always talk about how you the man of the household and this and that. She said, be a man. Mm -hmm. Do what a man would do. Mm -hmm. And so... At the time, it's probably about three of us. Mm -hmm. Two that I'm that just a two-man crew and mm -hmm. the person we working for. Mm -hmm. And that's all we needed to stay anonymous and stay under the radar. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm in the house and I'm thinking, because my mom's about to put me out. Mm -hmm. She about to she told me to get out. Mm -hmm. So now <laughs> I said, so. I pack everything up. So I calls them and tells them that, you know, sweat stuff was getting hot anyway. Things was getting hot in, in, in that area. And so I pack everything up. I go down where who I was working for was residing at the time. Mm -hmm. And I told him I needed to talk to him. Mm -hmm. And I hand him his bag with everything in it, the money, everything. I didn't want anything. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do this no more. Mm -hmm. And uh, hold up. And so he was like, all right. He said, Shorty. You cool. You can do other things. He was like, um, I got you. Anything you need, anything you want, I got you. And he was like, don't worry about nothing. Uh, the rest of them, they done ran off and been hiding from me. He said, you came to me like a man. He gave me a hug, gave me a dap. And it was like, we good. And then I went, up, I went back to the house. Mm. And then, you know, I was still hanging. I was still hanging out the street and everything. Yeah. So now, you know, I'm playing, I'm going to work. So we getting work, we getting jobs. You know, I'm working in it. I go get a job and everything. I'm working and everything. And so, Wait, so you pretty much told you connect, like you, you good. Like you can't, you don't want to work no more. Pretty much. Yeah. Cause my mom was going through so much with my brothers, you know, at the time. You know, through everything mm -hmm. that 
I didn't want to be, I saw my mom's cry before. You didn't want to be the source of that. Yeah. And it was a cry that I never, ever heard before. I agree. And I said, I never make her cry like that ever. And that was the reason why I did just, just hearing your mom cry. And I, I think, though, hearing it and seeing your mom cry is, is definitely one of the top feelings that I think um, is like one of those feelings as a son, you know, and especially a son of a single mother. Um, that, that'll definitely make you kind of like switch on, switch, switch some stuff up. So, so after, I switch gears. I switch gears. And so, but then you fall back into that. You know, I got girlfriends and work. I got a girlfriend working. We, we, we together and everything. And, and so, some other stuff I had. And my mom was like, you got to go. Either, either you, you good. Can you hear me, y'all? Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, he says, she said, you got to go unless you change, change up. So my brother comes. So at the time, uh, my best friend, Rico, Mike, Mike had went in the military. Mike had went in the Navy. Rico had went in the Navy. Uh, two other friends had went in the service. And I remember him coming home and was like, Yo, you got to try this. He was like, this ain't what people think it is. This is, this is like, something different uh -huh. he was like and i could see the excitement in his face uh -huh. but still i'm not buying i'm not buying in i'm like no nah, i'm not buying in uh -huh. and so i'm still out there making decisions bad decisions and still twisted you know my brothers and them still trying to take care of them still trying to help him out and to the point where i said you know what i have to in order for me to help him i have to help myself and so my older brother came and took me down to the, he wanted me to, I was going to go in the Air Force. Uh -huh. So he put me to the Air Force recruiter, but they was never there. <laughs> they was never there. <laughs> never in the office. Uh -huh. So we went next door down to Pratt Street uh -huh. at uh, Turner Station. Went down there and then we went to the, uh, the Navy office. And my brother knew one of the guys in the Navy office. Uh -huh. And we started talking and everything, and we started the process on, but, you know, we got the process done, uh, took the test, took the physical, had a problem, had a medical issue, had to get special permission to actually come in, come in the service. So I had a heart, I had a heart murmur. Mm. So, and so we had to, I had to get special permission to come in there. But I had fixed that problem because, you know, like I said, you know, I was in the fitness. I've been in fitness. So you might say I was in fitness since I was nine. <laughs> right. I knew when there was a when there was a health issue, I knew what I had to go back to and help myself to get back where I need to be. So so once I so once that happened, uh everybody was leaving. Every time I look around. Everybody, everybody's gone. Like my buddy Larry gone, Rico gone, Mike gone. Everybody's just leaving. Ralph and college. Everybody just 
just leaving. Every time I turn around, somebody's going making a move. Yeah. And I'm like, Ugh, if you if you don't make a move, you won't make it past. You make won't make it to 24 for real. Yeah. You have to move. Mm-hmm. And so I made that move. And when I told my mom, even though that she didn't want me to go. Uh-huh. Like she was totally against me going in the service. Like, nah, my baby is not going in the service. Because uh-huh. at that time, the first Gulf War, we was having tensions with Iraq. Yeah, that was around like 91, 92, right? Yeah, we was having, we was having tensions with them. Mm-hmm. The, day, the day I left to go to boot camp, we were bombing in Iraq. Mm. One of my friends out there already in the front lines. He's in the army. He already out there. Oh, so my mom was like, no, you, she can't. She when they came to pick me up, uh-huh. she didn't even come downstairs to send me off. Because <laughs> she didn't want that to be the last time she ever saw me. Mm. She didn't want to remember that was the last time she saw me. That I left and didn't come back. Mm. So it was a it was a tough transition. You know, when when you when you're from in the streets and you 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 you're, and you just out there, you just trying to find yourself. It's a tough transition, transitioning from civilian yeah. life to service. Yeah, I was rebelling. I took my fighting to the service. Yeah, took that's my- what I was gonna ask too, because I know that had to be a little uh, a huge culture shock, you know, and going from you know the streets where you know it's a certain type of rules and a certain set of rules, and then going to the military where it's a whole nother different set of rules. Um, but you still have that rank and superiority and all of that stuff. So how was that um that that kind of transition? It was it was hard from the from the time I got from the time I got the plane. <laughs> it was hard, you know. Uh-huh. It was like that was the first time I was on a plane. I was thrown up on a plane, flying to California. Uh-huh. Migraine. Yeah, I was froze. that boot camp had to be crazy, huh? Yeah, it was it was like the yelling and the screaming. Yeah. And I'm already like, yo, if he get in my face, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. I was I was like, but they would treat disres when you was disrespectful, they would like make you do exercise a lot, like grind you. Uh-huh. But that didn't bother me. Yeah. It didn't bother me. <laughs> Like you want me to do hundred push-ups? I'll do two hundred. Oh, you want me to do? <laughs> if you want me to do leg lifts, oh, we can we can do this all day. <laughs> so you was in there just talking shit to, to the uh, yeah. uh the the sergeant and stuff. Yeah, to the to the to the chief and to the uh, first class. One night they was like, "Look, we're gonna send you to marching party." A marching party is a disciplinary thing where they send you when you to try to straighten you out. Uh-huh. And it's the, the Navy, it's the SEALs. So the Navy SEALs are actually holding this nighttime physical training exercise. Uh-huh. And y'all know. And so, so you they sending you to this. So they beating me down from 10 o'clock at night to three in the morning. Damn. I can barely walk going back to my barracks. Uh-huh. <laughs> but daily walking up, I'm pissed. I'm just 
But what was what was happening was I was still dealing with I was still dealing with unresolved stuff mm. back at home. Mm. You know, when you go through a lot of stuff in your life, you still have unresolved stuff. Mm-hmm. So the unresolved stuff was following me to the military. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, I'm about to leave this alone, go back home, forget this, uh-huh. you know. And my aunt had sent me a postcard, my mom's sister. Uh-huh. Uh, my brother had sent me the one that got on my nerves the most. He sent me a letter. I still had that letter to the day. I still had that first letter he sent. Oh, damn. That's what's yeah. up, man. Yeah. That, that, and, that was what kept you going. Yeah. And one of my, my best friend, Rico, he was stationed in San Diego. Uh-huh. So, you know, and then I started thinking, I don't want to let I don't want to let people down or let them think that I'm weak, mm-hmm. you know, that I can't handle it. So, and then I start looking at how bad somebody else from somewhere else. And that's how you start realizing you're meeting all these guys that going through the same, it's the same stuff that you're going through. And you don't know it until you have a serious conversation amongst men. Mm-hmm. And so we would have the serious conversations from people from all walks of life, all races, all creeds and colors, and just having serious conversations, you know, when you have your free time. Uh-huh. And then you start like, yeah, we need to do this together. We we this is something we can't do individually. We got to do this together. Yeah. So we had each other back. You heard somebody crying at night. You go talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, people want to give up. You 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 stay strong. You you stay on them. Like we're gonna do this together. We got you. You know, stuff stuff more or less you learned when you was growing up. Yeah. In my neighborhood, people got your back. It's like a camaraderie there. Yeah. So you just took the thing that you that you learned that you that you was instilled in you and just brought it there. Instead of bringing the negative stuff that I had with me, I started turning positive. So I get through boot camp, <laughs> get through boot camp, go to school. So I went to aviation electrician mate school mm-hmm. in Tennessee. Get there, still got problems, still got issues. Uh-huh. I'm issues. I'm worried about my brother. Yeah, I'm worried about him. I'm like, oh man, he 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 need me. So I'm shooting back and forth home, getting on the plane, spending my money, flying back and forth from Tennessee, uh-huh. back and forth. My mom's like, wow, why do you keep coming back home? You know, I'm going to see my girl. I'm going this and that. I'm just, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, yeah. and I'm in school. And so all that comes to like bubbles to it, like to a blackhead, and to the point where they kicked me out of that school. Oh shit! Yeah, they. What? At the same time. When you get kicked out of school in the navy? 